Hey, good morning, everybody. It's really good to see you. I'm Nate Wagner. I'm one of the pastors here at Portico Church. It's great to be with you. We are starting a new series after a long time in Hebrews. One of the things that we learned from Hebrews was that we're kind of in the wilderness, that that's kind of a metaphor for this life, is that you are in the wilderness and you're running a race. And one of the questions that came up for me during that time was like, okay, how can we survive in the wilderness, if that's true? How do we make it to the end? How do we make it to the finish line? Because life is hard, and living life as a Christian is also hard. It doesn't all of a sudden make it easy. There still is tension. There's still difficulty. There still is going to be periods of dryness, of frustration, of sin, of tragedy. And so what should we do? But also, we're living in a moment in our culture and in our society of upheaval, of transition. We don't know what the future is necessarily going to be. We just know that it's not going to look like the last 50 years. And so we are all feeling this in our workplaces, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families. We're feeling this. We're feeling the shifting sands. And we're all tired. There's a fatigue that has set in, and it's starting to... Um, it's starting to put pressure on our faith as Christians. And so that is not new. That is actually a pattern of history, that these things happen, that the upheaval of societies, of cultures, creates this feeling of fatigue and dryness that corresponds to your spiritual life. But we also see in history that the Lord meets his people there. And that in those times, in those seasons, he's working renewal. And it's kind of like the hard-baked ground starts to crack and new life sprouts out of it. And so we're doing a series on this idea of renewal. And what we mean by renewal is we mean that What happens when a Christian is renewed is that the presence of God is brought into proximity of every aspect of their life, and that comes to us through Jesus. But that doesn't come by osmosis. It doesn't just come as like a new revelation. It's not as if we're just sitting there and not doing anything, and all of a sudden something happens to us that we don't know. It actually, God uses means, and he tells us how he's going to work. And this is what church and theologians have identified as the means of grace. They are the ordinary things that God works renewal through. And so, you know, you can debate about how many they are. You can put them in different categories or whatever, but we're going to look at four throughout this next four weeks in the month of February, we're going to look at four means of grace, rest, word, sacraments, and prayer. And so if you are a Christian and you're feeling tired, you're feeling spiritually dry, you're feeling burnt out, maybe in different areas of your life, maybe spiritually you're feeling burnt out, this series 
is not going to fix you. (laughs) Sorry. Here's what it's going to do. It's going to remind you of what has always been true, and hopefully we will all kind of dust those things off and recover again these basic first principles of the Christian faith. And then patiently over time, we're going to start to see God working through them in a different way. And we're going to trust him with that. This is a call of trusting God with ordinary things. And it's also a great series if you're new to Christianity or if you're exploring Christianity because it does go through these first principles. These are the practices of the Christian life and we're going to seek to understand what God does through them and why it matters. And so it's also a great series for you in that way. So before we get into talking about rest, I want to talk to you about kind of like the history of renewal for just a second, because it's interesting and really important. So church historians have kind of looked back on the history of the church and have identified kind of two different ways of doing renewal, two different kind of works that are identifiable within the church. One of them is called cyclical renewal. That is akin to the summer camp experiences that some of you may have had, or a conference, or a really powerful mountaintop experience that feels amazing and experientially is great, and you think that your life is going to be changed. And then two weeks later, you're back into the same pattern you were before it. So that's, that creates this cycle. It's like I get one experience when I'm one, in one environment, but when I'm not there, I'm just kind of trying to hold on and endure until I can get back to that environment or that experience. So that's cyclical renewal. It's program-driven. Dri- it's man-centered. It's what man can produce, man can do, man can experience. Another classification of renewal that we look and see is something that's called continuous renewal. And this is where you see a patient endurance and almost like a fermentation of the Spirit of God working in his people patiently and progressively over time through very ordinary things. But those ordinary things produce an extraordinary endurance in those people. And it creates a faithful presence One pastor has described this as a long obedience in the same direction. So the timeline gets zoomed out. And so that is what I want to put before you today. And I want to start with rest because in this idea of what God means when he tells us to rest, when he gives us a day of rest, in that day are going to be contained the other elements, the other means of grace. So this is kind of the, um, the source and the genesis, the beginning of the means of grace is this day of rest. And so we're going to talk about that. And you can understand this series maybe as self-care, as a way to care for yourself, as a way to um, kind of, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first before going into the world. 
But here, here's a problem with that. Self-care has become very popular. Um, and what people mean by self-care completely excludes who we are as selves, as people. It doesn't acknowledge the fact that self-care is actually soul care, and soul care is self-care. And so there is going to be some pressure put on us in the conflict and in the tension of those two ideas of what it means to be a person and what it actually means to take care of yourself. You're going to feel that today. I felt it preparing for this because what Jesus does and what he um, shows through what he does is that he is the Lord of this day and that we receive it from him. He is the authority over it. He determines what it is and what it looks like. So it might make you a little bit uncomfortable. It might put some pressure on things, and that's good. That is the kind of tension that renewal is birthed out of. It doesn't happen easily. It doesn't happen when you're comfortable. It happens when you're uncomfortable. So all that to say is that you will probably feel a little bit uncomfortable at points, but that's good. Push into that. Explore it. Ask why. Undercover some of those assumptions that you have about your life and how you live it. Okay, that's enough. Prelude. Let's get into the text this morning. We're going to be looking at John 9, verses 1 through 17. This is not typically a text you would go to if you wanted to understand what rest is, but it should be, and I'll explain that. John 9, verses 1 through 17. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, he being Jesus. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this, that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I, so I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had former, formerly been, been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. 
Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this day. We ask that you would use it to help us see, that you would open your eyes to what you have done, to what you are doing, what you will do. Lord, and we ask that as your people that we would press into that, <laughs> that we would not see it as burdensome, that we would not see it as inconvenient, that we would not see it as something that we are doing, but something that we receive from you. God, I ask for the Spirit to be here with us, to help us understand, to help us love, and to help us um, respond to your word. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what in the world does this have to do with rest? Well, if you notice, and in the Gospel of John, this happens a few different times, that the miracle turns into a debate, and it's ultimately a debate about the Sabbath, what you can and can't do. But even more than that, it's a power struggle. Really, the Sabbath is just kind of accidental. It's the Pharisees wanting to exercise their authority and see Jesus as a threat to it. But Jesus wants to reclaim the Sabbath. That's why he does this work on this day in this way, very intentionally. It's very intentional. Throughout the Gospel of John, John alludes to and points to these power struggles that happen on the Sabbath. And then, after the resurrection, he points to Jesus appearing to his disciples on certain days, days he identifies as the first day, what we understand as Sunday. And so John is showing us throughout the whole gospel that this really is a description and a picture of this day of Sabbath and what it is, what it's for, how we should respond to it. And so there's two parts to what we can learn from Jesus and what he does here. And the two parts go together in a unified whole. One is rest and one is worship. So there's a piece of resting that is key to this day, and there's a piece of worship that is key to this day. And these two things go together, and they complement each other. And today, for us, we are going to learn that God wants us to rest in redemption, to rest in redemption. So first, let's look at the rest. Let's look at resting. So the whole issue that the Pharisees have is that Jesus is not properly resting. He's doing a work. It's not proper to heal on the Sabbath, is what they say. And so Jesus is, has a charge against him. And what he does, he doesn't really defend himself in this conversation, but what he does and what John does is show the, the, the authority of Jesus, but also the continuity that Jesus has with the Sabbath-keeping law. And it goes all the way back to creation. It goes back to the institution of the Sabbath, which happens on the seventh day when God did not create anything. 
but he rested from all of his works. How does it do that? Well, you have this blind man who's been blind from birth, didn't do anything wrong, he's just blind. He can't see. That's very different. It's in contrast to Adam and Eve in the garden where God creates and it is good and there's no imperfection to be found. They can both see. They're walking with God. They are seeing. And so you have the same God who created, now embodied in Jesus, interacting with his creation. But his creation can't see. And so what does Jesus do? Just like God created Adam from the dirt by breathing on it, by breathing life into it, Jesus goes back to the dirt, saliva from his mouth, forms this healing balm that restores this man's sight. Jesus is showing you there is something restorative about this day. There is something that restores to our broken and tired and weary creation back to the original purpose and intent of God in the garden. When we rest, when we take a physical break, we are restored, we're renewed. And this is, this is very earthy. It's very much concerned with our physical being. And so part of what it means to rest that Jesus is communicating here by healing and restoring this man's sight is that the rest will heal. It's going to heal your body. We need it. And it also, again, it alludes back to the day when after God created and it was all good, he rested. Why did God rest? What does that mean? You ever think about that? Like, I don't, I'm not comfortable with the idea of God resting. Like, no, we need him working, right? <laughs> well, it's meaning that he rested from his work of creation. He's not creating anything anymore. He created and it was good. So he's resting from creation. Here's what that means. There's a sufficiency in God's creation and there's a limit to God's creation. We are made with limitations. Our physical being means that we are limited. It's a limited sufficiency. We have real limits. In our culture... We will pay a ton of money to get away from our physical limits. We will pay a ton of time and attention to things that remove the barriers of our physical limitations. Look at social media. That's what it does, right? Is It takes you as a limited physical creature that you can't relate to other creatures that aren't around you and says, nope, not true anymore, let's do it. Of course, it goes really well. (laughs) These limitations are rejected by us. Why? 
Because we want to be God. And we live lives that start to inflate our sense of importance, our sense of self-reliance. We think that if we rest from something, things will fall apart. I know this. I feel this with you guys. And this in this area is like air that we breathe. It's the culture of your workplaces. It's how we interact with each other. It's almost a competition to see who can say that they're more busy. And it's crazy. Like, when's the last time you asked somebody, how are you doing? And they didn't say busy, right? But that doesn't make any sense. Why do we want to be busy so much? Well, here's what happens. You guys have probably felt this. When you rest, all of your identity, all of your self-importance, all of the things that you connect to your productivity, the things that you do, all of that is set aside. And you are confronted with just being one of God's creatures. And we don't like that. We want to form our own self-worth, our own self-importance. We don't want to receive it. And so we don't like to rest. And so we don't rest. Also, resting, it means that we are not making money during that time. And so for us, for them, it was more of an agrarian society, which the same principle applies if you're resting, then you're not planting a crop. You're not harvesting the crop. You're resting. You're not working. And so it puts pressure on who do you trust? What is the source of everything? And where do you receive that? This is all encapsulated in this idea of God wanting us to stop and to rest. Because in resting, we remember that God is the source and it's an act of trust. And so there is this physical stopping from physical labor, from the things that you do vocationally, from your worries and cares in this world, from the work, the good work, mind you, that God has given you to do. There's a resting from it. And we join God in his rest when we rest. But there's also a redemptive aspect of it. At the very last verse, in verse 17, the Pharisees ask him with a, this is a loaded question, by the way, this is not a safe answer. Who do you say that he is? And in verse 17, he says, he is a prophet. Well, that means, hey, Pharisees, you have this wrong. You are wrong. And so there is an aspect of this man where not only his physical sight has been restored, but his spiritual sight. And this is his first act of worship, of confessing who Jesus is. And it just happens in seed form in verse 17, but Jesus just pours water on the seed later. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they cast the man out because the man stuck, was stuck with his guns. And so the Pharisees threw him out of the town. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? 
The Son of Man is a figure of judgment and of supreme authority in the Jewish faith. So he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered him, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he that is, who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So in this last interaction that Jesus has with this man, you see the second element of what it means to rest, what it means to have Sabbath rest, the kind of rest that we're supposed to have, and it's all about worship. It's about receiving spiritual sight, having our spiritual sight restored to us so that we can see our Creator, so that we can see our Judge, we can see our Savior, and to worship. And that should happen on the same day. Jesus goes on and he said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we so also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees are giving us one of the ways, really two of the ways, but I'll talk about one of the ways first, where we get really sideways with this idea of Sabbath, especially in the church. And it's when we make it our righteousness. When we make this idea of rest and worship something that shows off how good of Christians we are. That's what they were doing. Why do we need Jesus? We are the ones who actually do the Sabbath. They didn't recognize the Lord of the Sabbath who was standing in front of them. They didn't recognize the one for whom the Sabbath was made because they were satisfied. So in resting, as they were, by keeping the Sabbath in this legalistic, rigid, self-righteous way, they were actually defeating the purpose of it. Because you have this blind man worshiping and you have these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, rejecting Jesus. But there's another way that we can also neglect or get sideways with this day of rest. And that is just with permissiveness, neglect. And I've already kind of alluded to this, but it's in this idea of believing, hey, we don't actually need that. That was for a different culture, a different time. People who did different kinds of work. We are good. We don't do this physical kind of work anymore. And so we can kind of work 24-7. Or just take breaks whenever we want, but not actually intentionally resting for a day. And you can see this in that the Pharisees are policing something with a good intention. Because they are seeing Sabbath being neglected in their day. But what they're doing is they're, they're just completely misunderstanding then the purpose of it. But I think for us, we have to take a step back and just kind of acknowledge that this impulse is in, 
all of us, both of these impulses, on the one hand to kind of find our righteousness in it, and on the other hand to just kind of neglect it, to to pretend like we don't need it. And so Jesus is really showing the deficiency of both of those understandings. Because the act of healing this blind man and using it as a way for us to say, hey, that is us. We might not be physically blind, but are we anxious? We might not be physically blind, but are we depressed? We might not be physically blind, but can we actually talk to another human being without thinking about how we can use them or without thinking about work? Can we be physically present with another human? And I would say not all, but certainly some of those deficiencies come from not resting. You get increasingly anxious when you're thinking about something and when your own sense of control over something is inflated so that you feel more important than you actually are and then you begin to imagine what happens when things go wrong. And because you feel more important than you are, those things get blown way out of proportion. And so pretty soon you lose sight of reality and you can't rest. Even when you try to, your mind is still at work because it's just been seeping in that constant state of work, of labor. And so this is another just kind of practical thing is that you can like shut your laptop but mentally still be working. You can still be thinking about work. You can still be worrying about it. You can still be planning. Your physical body can be doing something while internally your spirit, your soul, your mind are completely somewhere else. And what this day is designed to do is it's designed to gather you back into your body and unite it again with your soul by showing you someone more beautiful than your work, by reminding you of the redemption that has been worked in this world through Jesus. And so this day is really now about locating ourselves in the past, present, and future of Sabbath days. And this is, this is really what happens in the Gospel of John when Jesus starts to appear to his disciples and he consistently appears to them on the first day. He's showing us, hey, this is a precedent for how, I'm, how after the resurrection I am going to work. I am going to reveal myself to you in a full way on this day to, your, to my people as they gather, as they rest, and as they worship. And so what this day is, what we do in church, is we remember that our rest is purchased in Christ that we are resting in him. We're not resting because we did a good job at work. We're not resting because we prayed every day in the last week. We're not resting because of our acts of mercy. We are resting because of Jesus. 
And so we think back to the resurrection. We think back to the crucifixion. Every Sunday, we locate ourselves back there with him. And we, like this blind man, see again that he is the Son of Man, that he comes to restore our sight, to forgive our sins, and that he has done that in our lives. And rest is also present. The type of rest that we experience as Christians happens in real time. So the rest that we experience identifies what God is currently doing. It stands in a line of successive weeks over time where we see and experience the work of God in our souls, where we hear and respond to his voice as he calls us, where we are healed and freed from bondage of sin and death. And so if you do that, if you are consistent, if you pursue worship and rest in this way that Jesus wants us to, you start to see how God is using that to renew you, to work in you, to heal you. And then finally, it's also future. When we rest in redemption, we're acknowledging that we still need it that we still need this physical rest, that it's for a period of time, and then it's over. And we go back. We start the second day of the week, Monday. Go back to work. We lose sight of all of the things. I'm, like We have amnesia. We have spiritual amnesia. We lose sight of all the things that we have heard and that we're trusting and believing as we rested and worshiped. And it starts to lose its potency. So we are looking forward to when we enter that rest, when we enter that rest of God where we don't need any more work, where we don't need to look forward to another day, where we will be brought in perfectly to God's eternal rest. We'll be back in a place with God, able to see him, to walk with him, to have fellowship with him. And so resting in redemption, it reminds us of God's work. It sanctifies us in real time, and it prepares us to be with him eternally. I want to read a psalm that kind of reflects and summarizes some of these things to conclude. Um, Because this is something that I think, I don't know, I resist this. I'm like, yeah, but do we really have to? And what about X, Y, and Z? And I think all of those are valid questions, but I think they're the wrong questions. I think the questions that we should be asking about resting and worshiping, about taking a break from our labor and then worshiping God with his people, is what is God doing? Why does he want us to receive this? Is this something that is a burden or is it actually a gift maybe that we failed to recognize as a gift for whatever reason? And so in Psalm 73, it's a psalm of Asaph. And so Asaph is kind of wrestling with the reality that sometimes the wicked prosper. And he's lamenting to God of this. 
And he's so frustrated that he can't do anything about it. He feels helpless. And so starting in verse 16, that's kind of a summary. In verse 16, there's a transition. But when I thought how to understand this, this prospering of the wicked, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And then he sets that same kind of analytical mind on his own heart. And he understands that he was envious. He was bitter. Verse 21 When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all of your works. And you see this, that it wasn't until he went into the sanctuary that all of those things became true. That he was reminded of who God is and who he is. That he was able to trust as he received God's instruction. And this is really the model for what it looks like to be continuously renewed Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Now, don't hear me saying this only happens on Sunday. To go back into Hebrews, this is like a race. It's a long race. And if you've ever run in a long race, you know that there are aid stations along the way. And what he's saying, these Sundays function like aid stations. They refresh you. They remind you to keep going so that you keep going into the week, right? It's not just a faith that happens on Sunday and then we do whatever, but it is a faith where what happens on Sunday empowers us to keep running, to keep going, and it fuels our love for God, our love for each other. And so like Asaph, as we go into the sanctuary Part of what we do is that we are reminded of who, God is, of who God is. And we are given that power through the Spirit to keep going so that we would be with God forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, Lord, this is something that we've seen done wrong in a million ways whether it's that we've had experiences with um, a legalistic understanding of what it means to worship you and to rest, or whether we have found our own righteousness in it and, um, and have become proud. And like the Pharisees, we find that it's our job to scold everyone 
and tell them how they're not doing it right. And so, Lord, it's, um, it's, such, it's such a privilege to see with clarity what your son desires when he lives out the Sabbath in his own life. And he shows us that rest restores us. It's good for our physical bodies. And it also is how we worship, Lord. And so, God, we thank you for the privilege of doing that. We also receive it as an invitation to continue doing it for our entire lives and know that you are preparing us for an eternal rest. Lord, and we look forward to that. We ask that you would bring that soon as we are weary, as we are tired. But until then, Lord, we ask that we would live by faith, that we would trust that what you have provided is sufficient and that you would continue to work through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.